Thank you for listening to the New Covenant Fellowship weekly podcast. We hope you're enjoying the messages. Unfortunately, we experienced unexpected technical difficulties this Sunday, which resulted in a very poor quality recording. Nevertheless, we would still like to make the message available to you, but we ask your forgiveness for the poor quality recording. The technical issues have since been resolved, and we expect to return to our high-quality audio performance next week. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy the message. Go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Now whether, those of you who are here this week, who were, hap- who were here last week, I'm going to be continuing and finishing the series that I started last week. And even if you're not willing to admit, I bet half of you are not necessarily here to hear my sermon, but you're here to see if I made it back from my rap. I told you I'd tell you this week if I made it back. And you're going to have to wait. I'm not there yet. Philippians chapter 4. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for breathing on your word. And we thank you for your grace for us to embrace it. And we just love you and we appreciate you. And we're so grateful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The interesting thing about that is we are given the opportunity to live from this disposition of having joyful hearts, having a soul full of joy all the time. Because he says rejoice in the Lord always, right? But then I believe he goes on and gives us the key that will enable us to have that kind of a a rejoicing soul. Last week we talked about worry and anxiety and being anxious. And we learned that we can be anxious about some things. I hear you giggling. What? what? Can we be anxious about some things? He says to be anxious for nothing. And anxious also means to, to worry. Do not be, do not worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing. And you know, I think some of us believe that it's okay to worry because what I'm worrying about is very important. What I'm worrying about is, is a person who's in, in, in trouble or has a great need. I'm worried about the sister who's in critical condition. Or I'm, I'm worried about this, this man who's in this troubling situation. Or I'm worried about this. I'm worried about my kids. And so we think that we're okay, justified in our worry. But according to Jesus, he says that's not cool. That's not okay. Because he says not to worry about anything. And we also learned last week that worrying produces stress, and stress kills. Stress is deadly. You know, the interesting thing it says that to be anxious for nothing, and it gives some things in the middle, and then it says, when you follow these steps, then the peace of God, which passes all understanding. To me, that means peace when there really shouldn't be any peace. When you're in a situation and you have peace and people look at you and say, I don't understand how you can have peace with what you're going through. Peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> and that word to guard means to protect by a military guard, to prevent hostile invasion. 
That word guard is also means a garrison, which is a body of troops stationed in a fortified place. So when we follow his instructions, he promises that the peace, the peace of God, which we can't understand or fathom, will guard, will surround, will set up a garrison, a fortress of protection around your heart and mind so that the bad guys can't invade. The bad guys being turmoil, anxiety, fear. So when we do what he says, we have that promise. So either you can continue to be worried about things, you can continue to be anxious about things, and have all that turmoil, have all that stress, have that high blood pressure, have all the stuff that goes with it. Or you can have peace that passes all understanding. And it will guard your heart and mind. And see, it's that peace that passes all understanding is what gives us the ability to rejoice in the Lord always. They go hand in hand. Because if your soul is full of anxiety and you're full of worry, you know the kind that where your mind, every time, you know, every waking moment or a lot of times throughout the day, your mind is playing that same recording. It's playing that scenario that you're worried about. It's just playing it over and over and over and over. And you know what's interesting? Because the Bible says that as a man thinks, so is he. You know, our mind, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, our, goes on in our mind that's not reality, but it's reality to us. You know, for example, watching a movie that we know is just entertainment, it's just fake, it's people acting on a screen, and things happen that are really sad. You know it's not real, but what do you do? Cry. Except Cornell. But you, your emotions take over because you're... Your emotional state, this is real. This is reality. And we know logically that it's not real. And the same thing happens in our worry state. We're thinking about things. I mean, how many times have you, you let your mind start thinking about things? You grab onto something and you start playing that over and over and over. And all of a sudden you're thinking, well, what if they, they're not home right now because they got into an accident? And what if they're on the side of the road dying? And what if, and all of a sudden your emotions, See, your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure increases, fear starts to take over, anxiety, anxiousness just begins to take over, and the situation is not even real. And you're, you're putting your body in distress over something that's not even real. And yet we do this constantly to our, ourself. And so if we live in a state like that, how do we expect to, to live in a disposition of rejoicing in the Lord? How do we expect to live from a, a position of being able to be ready to minister and encourage people that we come in contact with throughout our day? If I'm full of worry and anxiety, and I come across someone at Walmart who the Lord may want me to minister to, I'm probably not going to be in tune or even be aware of that situation. You see, that's why this is important, because it's not just about us, although the Lord cares deeply about us because he died for us. You catch that? He does care about us. When people say, well, it's not about you, it's about God. Yeah, but it is about you. He made it about you, because he cares for you. He died. He gave his best for you. He said, this is about you. But it's also about the people that he wants to love through you. So he wants us to be available. But at the same time, the cool thing is, not only does he want me to be available to minister and encourage and bring hope to people, but he wants me to be full of peace. See, he wants me to be full of peace and joy, not out of just false emotion, but out of reality, so I can dispense that to people. Because when you have true joy, people sense that around you, versus someone who's being fake. You know, someone who 
you're at work and you grumble and complain all the time and all this kind of stuff and just negative, 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 worry, worry, gossip, gossip, and then you want to share the gospel with your coworkers. Let me tell you what Jesus can do for you. Like, oh, same thing he's done for you? No thanks. But on the other hand, if they see that they, they know you, they're aware of some of the, the challenges you're going through, but yet they see your disposition of joy, not a stick in your head in the sand, ignoring everything kind of joy. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a reality that this is the circumstances. He's got it. I'm good. Doesn't mean the circumstances aren't there. They're reality. And they look at you and they look at your disposition. They understand your circumstances and they say, okay, what's going on with you? Are you on an awesome drug that I need to be introduced to? Or is there something else going on? And then you begin to share the hope that is in you. You begin to tell them about Jesus, and then guess what? They're probably going to listen a little bit more. So there's a lot at stake. But the main thing the Lord wants to deliver today is he's concerned about your soul. He's concerned about your heart, your peace, the anxiety that you're dealing with. So what do we do? It says, be anxious for nothing but... In everything. So in everything, all the circumstances that are causing you to be anxious, here's what you need to do. It says by prayer. First thing, I'm going to give you four things. The first one is by prayer. And that prayer is communication out of communion. So what he's inviting us to do is do not be anxious. Okay, so I have a situation that's causing me to be anxious. But in everything, by prayer, that means turn to him. That means he's inviting me to relationship with him. The Bible says to boldly approach the throne of grace in time of need. To obtain mercy and help in time of need. To boldly with confidence approach the throne of grace. Well, who sits on the throne of grace? Who? So he's telling us to boldly approach him when we're in time of need. Anxiety. Prayer. Turn to him. And I'm not talking about just a, what I'm talking about today is not a quick fix, A, B, C, D, and you're done, a formula. But it can almost be used that way, but basically it's relationship with him. It's relationship with him, it's praying, it's communicating with him, it's, and it's two-way. That's the key. It's not just throwing stuff at him, although he tells us to throw stuff at him, to cast our cares upon him, because he cares for us. He invites us to do that, but he also wants us to listen to him. So when it says prayer, which is communication with him, it's two-way communication. So you can give him, you can talk to him about your burden, but you can also listen to him to hear what he's saying to you. Praying, praying in your prayer language. If you have, the, if you have your prayer language, the gift of tongues. Pray in that a lot, a lot. When I'm in a frustrating, challenging, turmoil type situation, by his grace, my response has become to pray in tongues. I don't know what else to do. I'm just frustrated. I start praying in tongues. And what happens, what I feel like is happening to me is my soul that is screaming, that is freaking out, is in control, but my spirit, says, spirit man says, no, I need to be in control. Because I'm the one that's connected to the one of peace. And so as I'm praying in tongues, the Bible says, he who speaks in a tongue speaks to God, speaks mysteries. 1 Corinthians 14. And also says, he who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies who? Himself. Who needs to be edified? See, the Bible talks about prophecy edifies the church, but praying in tongues edifies yourself. When you're in a place of anxiety, do you need, need to be edified? Oh, yeah. Big time. Specifically in that situation. So what better way to edify yourself than the way God designed for us to edify ourselves? So I begin to pray in tongues, pray in tongues, pray in tongues. Sometimes it takes a long time to get my soul to shut up. 
I allow my soul to continue to speak to me, the things he says a lot of times are not cool. And so he needs to shut up. So I encourage you to pray in tongues, bringing your soul under subjection. The reason why also we have to understand it's a two-way communication because we need, we need wisdom. When you're going through a trial, the Bible says in James chapter 1, when you're going through various trials, consider it pure joy and all that kind of stuff. But it also says in verse 5, I believe it says, but if any man lacks wisdom, the context is in that trial. If you're going through a trial and you need wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. So when you're going through a very anxious situation, it's important for you to listen because he wants to give you wisdom. Sometimes you're in a situation and you just need to stand and know that God is God. And say, God, you got this. I give this to you. I'm just going to stand and trust you. Sometimes he says, okay, now that you've given it to me, now that you've calmed down, now here's what you need to do. And he will give us wisdom to move forward under his direction. Sometimes he wants to give us wisdom through our brothers and sisters. A godly brother or sister who will not just tell us what we want to hear. See, a lot of times we surround ourselves with people or we specifically go to people that we know will pretty much tell me what I want to hear. That's not true godly wisdom. I need to be willing to go to somebody, even if I think they might tell me what I want to hear despite how I'm going to feel. Because I really want to hear what you got to say, God. Proverbs 7, 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. I'd rather be wounded by a friend than deceived by an enemy. I want to hear truth. I need to hear what do I need to hear to get me out of this situation or to get me moving forward in the way God wants me to. I don't want my ears tickled. And see, too many times we do, we hear all this stuff that's encouraging and nice and fluffy and everything, and it does no good. It does me no good. It may help me to feel good temporarily. I need wisdom. And so you need to be willing to go, if the Lord says, I want you to go talk to somebody to get counsel. You need counsel in your situation. Your situation's beyond you, and I want you to humble yourself. And so if he encourages you to go to somebody to receive counsel and wisdom, then be willing to do that. You know, the Bible says that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. When you're in a horrible situation or a stressful situation, you need grace. Grace is the ability and the desire to do God's will. So a grace enables you to do what God wants you to do. So you need that grace. And God is willing to give it out to the humble. So you have to humble yourself under God's mighty hand, and he will exalt you in due season. He gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. So sometimes humility is shown in, God, I'm willing to go who I, whoever I need to go to to hear truth, to hear instruction, so I can move forward the way you want me to move. I just love technology. We all love it until it turns on us, right? It's like, boom! So first thing is to pray. Two-way communication, open heart to hear what God's saying. Out of relationship. And the key in that is relationship. I'm not talking about the kind of relationship where you live in your own life, you get in trouble, and you go to God and expect Him to fix it. And you know, out of His mercy, He'll do that sometimes. He's done that for me quite a few times. I'm being a knothead, doing my own thing. I'm like, uh-oh, I messed up. Hey, Daddy, I need some help. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about as I'm walking with him, in my relationship with him, I do stupid things or a situation comes across my path, and I can just turn and say, hey, Dad, I need help with this. What do I do? So relationship with him is the key. Second thing, it says, by prayer with supplication, by prayer and supplication. Or in some translations, it says petition. This is where you're asking for yourself or for someone else. So this is when you're going to God, a troubling situation, an anxious situation, and you're asking him for provision. You're asking him to help you 
whether it's for you or on behalf of somebody else. Maybe you're worried about your kids or worried about the circumstances, so you're saying, God, I need you to help my son. I need you to help. He's inviting us to come, to ask, to petition, to supplicate, which means to ask him. And we're even invited to ask over and over and over and over and over again. And here's also the time when you take that thing, that burden, and you give it to him. You cast it upon him. 1 Peter 5, verse 7 says, Cast all your anxiety upon him, for he cares for you. Now, it's interesting to say that the reason why he wants you to cast your anxiety upon him is because he cares for you. Because he knows if you keep it, it's going to kill you or suffocate you or put poison into your system. But he can handle it. He says, I got this. And that same word, that word for cast, it means to throw upon or place upon. And the other time that word is used is in Luke 19.35. And it says, and they brought this donkey to Jesus and they cast their garments upon the colt and they set Jesus upon him. Remember when Jesus, need, you know, they had the donkey, brought it to Jesus, and Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem, and Hosanna, Hosanna. Remember that? But when they brought the donkey to him, it says they cast their garments upon the donkey so Jesus could sit on the garments. One thing I notice about that is when they cast the garments upon the donkey, they didn't keep holding on to the garments and walk along the donkey while Jesus is riding, holding on to the garments. They let the garments go. Some of us do our cares that way. We cast our cares upon him, but we keep holding on to him. We have to let them go. Let them go. And what that means is I have to trust him. Because a lot of times we say, okay, God, I'm trusting you. Well, let me hold on just for a little bit longer, just in case you slip up. Just in case you need my help or something. Or you want to ask my advice. You've got to let it go. So casting our cares upon him. And number three. So prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. So it's like a combination of things that's going on right here. We're praying, we're supplicating, and then with thanksgiving. And I believe that means true thanksgiving. Not lip sync thanksgiving. Not, okay, this is the third part of the formula. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, wait for the peace. That's not quite what he means. I believe what he's saying is with thanksgiving for past victories. In other words, say, Lord, I give you this. I'm trusting this to you. And then you begin to focus on how he's been faithful in the past. Remember the last time you were in a bind and he helped you? Remember the last time you were short on finances and he provided for you? You begin to thank him for his past provision, his past victories in your life. God, thank you that you've shown yourself faithful you're so good. Or, I mean, it can be that and thanking him for taking care of the situation. Father, I give this to you, and I'm so grateful that you got this. I'm so grateful. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to give this to you. And you just begin to thank him. And even thank him for being saved. Come on now. Here's something the Holy Spirit gave me years ago, and it's been one of the coolest things that has brought peace to my soul. It's almost an instant thing. When I get into a situation that tries to overwhelm me with stress or whatever, Holy Spirit says, at least you're going to heaven. I'm like, yes! And what that means is, if this situation lasts for the rest of my life on this planet, I'm going to be with him forever. And what it does is it helps me to get my perspective shifted. Because when we're in our, in our current circumstance, we think that's, oh my goodness, this is forever. This is never going to end. Maybe it won't end on your, in your lifetime. Maybe you'll deal with this for the next 50 years. But guess what gets to happen to me for the next billion years? It's like, oh yeah, I'll take that exchange. So true thanksgiving. And to me, the, the most effective way of doing this is praise and worship. And I have, to, I have to admit, I'm addicted to praise and worship. I'm addicted to praising and worshiping him. Let me put it that way. 
Because when I just worship, I mean, my phone is full of music, worship music, and I just play it a lot. And I just, because it's constantly just reminding me of how good he is. And sometimes I just get so fired up and so, like this morning, that man, it was just crazy. It was awesome because he's so good. And when your heart and mind is full of that, stress doesn't have a chance. And then when it says rejoice in the Lord always, you're like, hey, I'm there. I'm right there. When you do that, and it says, and let your request be made known to God, and then the peace of God, which passes, surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know, when I, I was sharing last week when I was in Iraq years ago, I can't even remember which year that was, but it was when the war thing was going on around that time. <clears throat> the Lord sent me there on an assignment, and I was excited about it. I knew I was supposed to go. And the reason why I knew, you know, I've, I've, I know this is the Holy Spirit's idea, not mine. Kind of like my idea because it was so good, but I know it was his idea. But how I'm to know if the Lord gives me an assignment to go somewhere? Because I've had the wonderful privilege of traveling all over the world. But I do have a wife and some kids. And so it's like, how do I know I'm just going, especially a dangerous place like that? And specifically in that time when it was extremely dangerous. And I feel like the Lord gave me and my wife was, if I'm to know that he's putting this on my heart, because when someone calls and says, hey, CJ, I want you to pray about going with us to, I'm there, I'm going, when do we leave? That's, that's how I used to be. So I couldn't discern between my soul saying yes or the Holy Spirit in me saying yes. So what I said, okay, Lord, how about when for you to want me to go, for me to know, you give my wife peace and you provide the finances. And every time he's always honored that. And so I knew when I got off the phone with Barbara, Barbara Monroe, favorite travel part, that lady is scary, first of all, but she's amazing. She's an amazing woman of God powerful. She invited me to go with her, pray if I was supposed to go to Iraq. And I'm thinking, woo-wee, peace for her. And this, I remember when we first got off the phone, Lisa said, what did Barbara want? What does she want? Because she knows when Barbara calls, it's like, kind of like Ethan Hunt, if you so choose, this assignment. This recording will self-destruct in five seconds. You know, it's almost like that. Barbara calls, Okay, assignment. This is like, what does she want? Where does she want you to no, where does she want you to go this time? That's what she asked me when I got off the phone. I'm like, oh my goodness, there's no way I can tell my wife. And I said, she wants me to go to Iraq. Iraq? Are you, you know, are you kidding? Doesn't she know there's a war going on? All that kind of stuff. Anyway, I said, well, honey, just pray about it. She said, I will. I'll pray about it. She prayed and she said, Yes, I have peace. Which I knew was God, because the circumstances were crazy. And the cool thing, and this is what I appreciate about my wife, being a woman of, a godly woman, because in circumstances like that, that's, that's a reality check. Because she knew just as well as I did that going there did not guarantee me coming back. I mean, just in a natural way of thinking. Well, I had to call my mom and tell my mom that I was going on this trip. And that was a whole nother level. Telling mom, oh, by the way, mom, guess where I'm going? Oh, where are you going this time? You're going to Mexico? Not exactly. I'm going to Iraq. Man, that phone got hot. <laughs> it got real hot. And so I'm trying to pull that, well, Mom, why are you going to Iraq? Well, Mom, God, give, me the, give the phone to Lisa. She did not want to hear my stuff. And here's where, this is what was cool. I gave the phone to Lisa. And so what I'm figuring my mom's trying to do is try to get two of the most important women um, in my life against me to tell me to stay my butt home. And so, give the phone to Lisa. She goes in the room, and then she comes back out. And basically, what she told my mom is, my mom was telling her stuff like, how dangerous that is, and he needs to be home with you guys, and blah, 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 blah. And Lisa basically was telling her is that, we believe this is what the Lord is saying to do. I trust him. That's what she's saying. See, it's one thing for me to trust him, it's another thing for her with six kids to be home by herself to trust him. And that's what she conveyed to my mom. And she somehow got her to calm down. 
And so here I am on this trip, and as I shared last week, <clears throat> I didn't realize it until I got there, trying to go to sleep, because we're about to drive into Iraq the next morning. And for the first time, I realized that because every trip that I've been on, the Lord had always told me what I was going to be doing when I got back. So I realized, hey, I'm coming back. So no one's taking me out on this trip. It's not my time to be a martyr. So it gave me confidence, and I'm, I mean for real confidence. Real confidence. But all of a sudden on this trip, I was not given that at all. I was even asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do when I get back? And I was asking, I'll, I'll do anything. And he was silent. So I realized, oh, I may not be going back. That was a real reality. Now I know we're supposed to live with that every day. We're not guaranteed tomorrow, whatever. You know what I'm saying? But this was when that situation was real. I was about to cross the border into a war-torn country, and I was not given any assignments when I came home. And I wrestled. I was up all night. Well, I wasn't up all night. I was up, couldn't sleep. Stress was beginning to take over, fear. And again, I wasn't afraid of dying. I was afraid of what would happen to my family. Because as I shared last time, I did not take care of things practically for them. I didn't have insurance. <clears throat> so if, if I was taken out, I didn't know. And then right here, be anxious for nothing. God, I give this to you. First of all, I wrestled with it for a while. Could have saved myself some time and got more sleep. But I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled, and I remember that. Lord, I give it to you. I thank you that you, ha you got this. You will take care of my family. And I was able to go down, I was able to sleep, and I was at peace with the fact that regardless of what happens to me, he's got my family. And, I, and then peace, that passes understanding, flooded my soul. And I came back. You know, what if you... What, you know, sometimes your, your stress may be over a mistake you made, a real stupid mistake. I mean, you know, man, I messed up. This is dumb. And now there's some consequences that you're about to get pulverized by. And every time you're awake, <clears throat> that, that circumstance is playing over and over and over in your head. Anybody ever know somebody who's done that? Well, many of you know... Years ago, matter of fact, it was 2011, March of 2011. I made one of those. Matter of fact, it was the first time I ever made a mistake, so it was very shocking to me. <laughs> but I thought, you know, if I'm going to be human like everybody else, I need to make at least one. But what I did was, we were in a circumstance, my car had been wrecked. A lady ran into my son, told him my car. No insurance, all that kind of stuff, so we were stuck. We're just in this situation. And I found a situation on the internet, great car, killer price, good deal. So I sent $3,700. Mm-hmm. Do I have the car? Mm-hmm. $3,700, no car. And I remember once I realized, I was trying to convince my friend Chuck, he and I were together having a Bible study, and I was trying to convince him, hey, dude, you got to hear this great deal that I got. So I'm telling him all the A's, B's, and C's, check this out. And he said, brother, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> he said, that doesn't sound like, no, dude, you don't understand. I was, I was, let me explain something to you. So I was explaining this killer deal. And he said, he said, yeah, it sounds cool, but it just doesn't sound right. But then he had to go to work. He left. And then I started researching. And my heart dropped because I realized what had happened. I'd been taken. It's like, oh, my goodness. And when I realized that that $3,700 was never coming back into my possession, matter of fact, I had to borrow $3,699 just kidding. I borrowed the money from two important men in my life, Pastor Dale and my dad. Hey, I'll, I'll pay it back. I got this great deal. I talked them into it. My wife wasn't convinced, by the way. She said, honey, this doesn't sound right. I was, look, look at this. Da, da. She goes, yes, yeah, it, it just doesn't sound right. It doesn't feel right. 
You don't understand. You know anybody who's ever done that before? <laughs> so anyway, when I realized, after Chuck left, and I realized, oh my goodness, I just gave a gift, $3,700 to this guy named Jacob Mills. And there you are, when the reality hits you in the gut, and you're like, I was expecting my soul to just spiral down, and the woes, and the, you know, all that stuff that comes flooding in. And it was like I was stuck in midair, like someone was holding me in midair. I was waiting to crash. I was waiting. Okay, stupid, you just did it. I was waiting. It was like I was just suspended. And what I felt impressed to do, what do I do? Worship. The only thing I knew to do was worship. So I just began, I turned on my music and just began to worship, pray in tongues and worship. But I kept expecting my soul to spiral down, out of control. As I was just talking, I was like, God, I can't believe I did this. I was so like, you idiot. Can you? My soul was encouraged somehow. I had peace somehow. And then the Lord said, here's what I want you to do. No, first he asked me, he says, do you want to be free? I was like, yeah, I'd like to have my money back. That's not what he asked me. He said, do you want to be free? And I said, yes, I do want to be free. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write a letter to Jacob, the guy that I just gave this wonderful gift to. So I wrote this letter and sent him an email. And here's what I sent. I said, hello, Jacob. Unless you decide to reply, this is probably the last time we will hear from each other. We had a great relationship going back and forth through email. I realize by now that me receiving the car you advertise is a very slim possibility. So, I, want to, so I, I did want to ask you if there is any possible way that you would find it in your heart to return the money that I sent you. I know this sounds crazy to ask, but it's worth a shot. I'm not going to beg and give you some sob story as to why I can't afford to lose that kind of money, although I can't, and I'm not going to cuss you out, but I thought that I would at least just ask. If you do return the money, that would be a tremendous blessing. I will learn from this experience and move on in life a smarter person. If you do not return the money then I will still learn from this situation and move on in life a smarter person. But either way, there is one thing that I would like to say to you. I am praying that God blesses your socks off. I am praying that you come to realize that he loves you so much that he gave his only son Jesus to die for you so that you could be forgiven and have an incredible relationship with him. My prayer is that every time you think of me and every dollar of mine that you spend, that you remember just how much he loves you. God has been so good to me and has changed my life dramatically, and I pray the same for you. I'm not being sarcastic or insincere in this letter. I mean it all with my heart. If God is able to change your life as an indirect result of our $3,700 transaction, then it is worth it because you are worth it. I am praying that somehow I can recover the $3,700, but I am praying even more for God to remind you of his love for you. Take care, C.J. When I wrote that and sent that, it was via email. Now, I'm pretty sure he read it, but of course he never replied yet. But when I sent that, guess who was free? That peace that passes all understanding, that guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, guess where that went? Right here. If the enemy wanted to use that as a weapon against me to bring torment, it got turned on its head, and every time he reminded me about that, it triggered a response of me praying for Jacob. Every time I'd remember the $3,700, I'd start praying for Jacob. Father, I pray that you would overwhelm him with your grace, your love, that he would just freak out, realizing how much you love him. And then what did it do? It put a love in my heart for him. And here's what I'm hoping happens someday. Now, of course, the $3,700 would be nice. I've even been asking for seven times that. And so that's, as a matter of fact, I was even reminded of the Lord this morning. Say, Lord, it'd be nice that 37 times seven. I'd be willing to accept that. But here's my bigger hope, my expectation. I'm going to be standing in heaven, hanging out with Jesus. Someone's going to tap me on the shoulder. 
I'm going to turn around. I'm going to recognize Jacob Mills. And he's going to say, thank you for that letter. Some of you are saying, well, yeah, that was easy. That was only $3,700. You have no idea what I've gone through. See, when I was in that situation, the Lord gave me $3,700 worth of grace. He gave me enough grace to cover that situation, plus a little extra spilled out. Whatever your circumstance is, if it's a million-dollar circumstance, if you've been horrendously mistreated, guess how much grace he's going to give you? It's not going to be $3,700 worth. It's going to be enough not only to cover that situation, but to ooze out, spill over, and just totally wreck you with his peace and love and even affect those people around you. We can choose to let worry dominate us. We can choose to let the mistakes or the way people treat us, we can let that torment us, or we can allow God to build a garrison around our hearts and our souls, our minds, and we can walk in his peace. Your choice. I don't know about you, but I like the latter. Because I've tried both. Only the second one really works out. Really works out really well. God is so good all the time. And I really understand that when I'm going through rough situations. You know, some people are addicted to worry. In other words, that's their whole mindset. They naturally go to the negative. They naturally go to the fear. They naturally go to the things going wrong. Or they naturally worry about the circumstance and the people involved, people who who have probably done some very hurtful things, and your mind is fixated on that person. And you're stuck. And what they did in the past, you're allowing them to still have control of you. Because when you think about them, your emotions begin to spiral out. The anxiety begins to go up. Your blood pressure goes up. All that kind of stuff. Because of somebody who has been given more power than they really should have. And I know for some of you, $3,700 car thing sounds trivial. And that's just an example to share with you that, man, God is amazing. His peace is incredible. His freedom is indescribable. And when we get a hold of that, and then when the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always, guess what? You're going to be there. Because you've experienced his reality. It's interesting because the most challenging times in my life, and that was not it, but the most challenging times in my life, dealing with people who've either betrayed me or did me wrong or are persecuting me, his response, his wisdom to me and my response has always been love. That's how he's always encouraged me. Now, whether I accept that and move in that direction is up to me. But he says, do you want to be free? Yes, I want to be free. Here's what you need to do. In that situation, it was a letter. In a different situation, when I was being persecuted and just being attacked by these people, he told me to love them, to bless them. And so every time I thought about them, when I would think about them, my anxiety goes up, I begin to pray for them. What happened was that my heart turned towards them in love, and I began to cry out to God for them like I would my own kids. And I was free. If you've understood how dangerous you are against the kingdom of darkness, and how powerful you are for the kingdom of heaven, the enemy is afraid of you. Because, see, you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. I mean, the one that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you. Talking about lethal, you're beyond lethal. And the enemy's afraid of you. So his biggest weapon is fear to try to neutralize you. 
Because if you get caught up with fear and all that stuff, then you're going to be consumed in that. And then he's like, okay, good. I got them. I don't have to worry about them for now. But you're too powerful for them. And God has made his grace available so that we not only walk in peace, but victory. We don't just survive, but we overcome. We overcome. And then we help other people overcome who are in a pit. And we can help pull them free because of the experience that I've experienced. You know what's interesting in closing? When I shared that, when that situation happened, you know, one thing that was very amazing, and I was talking to my wife about it yesterday, when I made that $3,700 blunder, because by the way, it affected her too. But one thing she never did, Lisa never did when I did that. I told you not to do that. That was the dumbest thing, one of the dumbest things you've ever done. She didn't say that. Now, if she would have, in my mind, she'd have been justified. All right, honey, let me have it. I mean, you missed a spot. Hit me over here, too. Never once did she say a word other than, oh, well, we learn, we move on. That's why I get to live with her today. So that was the, uh, that was the one thing, but there was something else and I already forgot what it was. Anyway, if it's important, I'll remember it. If not, let's go ahead and stand together. You stand with me. If you guys could just <clears throat> bear with me when um, the Lord was really encouraged me to share this with you because I felt really heavy in my heart to share. But one of the things about this peace thing, this trust in God thing, when my husband went to Iraq, you know, especially for us women, we understand what it's like to let our husbands go someplace that's kind of scary. And this thing about I have peace, I trust you, God, it wasn't an airheaded decision. I just feel like I need to tell you that. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, we can go. I'm going to trust God, you know. It was like a heavy, heavy decision that he brought me to. And I want to tell you, um, because I remember exactly what I told his mom, because it was exactly what the Holy Spirit told me. One thing he told me specifically, I trust the Lord, not before him to bring my husband back, but I trust him because he's my provider. He's the one who takes care of me. That is why I was trusting, trusting him. So many times we trust God to get the results that we want. Sometimes we trust God as long as things turn out okay. But you know, sometimes the only way we get true peace is when we trust God with whatever. When we say, God, I trust you even if it doesn't turn out the way it looks, I want it to look like. And when we let that go, and we completely trust him for whatever, that's when the peace is going to come. That's when you're going to receive our peace. But that's part of letting go is, God, I trust you with with whatever. And sometimes those things that we hang on to, and we just get so used to hanging on to those things, and it actually becomes part of our identity. Like, who am I if I can't hang on to a little bit of worry about my husband or my children or my life, or my finances. Like, it's part of our identity, and when we make that our identity, that's a false idol. And that's actually something we worship. And that's nothing that was never intended to be a part of our identity. So we have to learn how to even let those things go. So I would like to pray. So everyone, just close your eyes. And I just want you just to have a couple minutes of quiet time with the Lord. And just ask Him, like, Holy Spirit, what is it that I need to let go? Holy Spirit, I just thank you just for speaking to us. What is it? And sometimes it's already screaming in our hearts and our minds what we need to let go. And as we're just praying, I want the ministry team to come up here. Please, right now. And some some of you, your, your thoughts are already screaming. You know what it is that you're wrestling with. You already know that. And some of us were like, okay, just let's just be real. God, let me just be real here. What What is it I'm to let go? What is it that I'm making part of my identity? What is it that I'm worshiping at this moment? What worry is it? 
And Father God, we just choose to give that to you. We just choose to throw that upon you and to cast that upon you right now. Because God, you're bigger than us. You're bigger than my thoughts. Like your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I can't even comprehend it. But it's not my job to. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It's not my job to understand. That's your job. That's your job to take total care, provide for total everything. You're our all in all. And we worship you for that. And we thank you, God, that you're big enough. There is no problem too bigger, too big, that you're not bigger still. And we worship you in that. And we just thank you for your greatness. In Jesus' name. The last point I wanted to make, I just realized that I'd make point number four. Philippians 4, eight. It says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. We can't just put our mind in a vacuum and stop thinking about the things we're worrying about. We have to give those to him, and then we have to set intentionally our mind on things that are praiseworthy. And that's when you allow, you rehearse the victories of God in your life. You rehearse how much God loves that person. Or how, you know, you, you have to intentionally set noble, pure, good things in your mind in order for you to have peace and to walk in that. Because you can't just blank your mind out. Amen? And so you, you find something, ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that I can do? That's when praise and worship is, is key. That's when getting the word out and just reading the Psalms. But allowing your mind, and you need to train, we need to train ourselves to do this because some of us were chronic at worrying. We have to retrain ourselves. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And Father, we thank you for giving us grace for this. We thank you so much. You're so amazing. And we thank you that your freedom is, is incredible. We bless you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. And I want to encourage anybody who uh, to come up and receive ministry. If you have any specific situations where you would like just someone to team up with you just to help you in these situations. We love you. We bless you. And we just encourage you to have a great week, and we'll see you next time. And you are dismissed. God bless you. 